Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this uh, Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will be for section 58. And uh, I'm noticing as I'm going through these that uh, I'm not doing these in a very professional manner, am I? I hear a lot of clearing my throat and so on. Uh, But who said that this was professional? This is just me doing this. Anyway, here we go. I'm going to read the heading first. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet in Zion, Jackson County, Missouri, August 1st, 1831. Earlier, on the first Sabbath, after the arrival of the prophet and his party in Jackson County, Missouri, a religious service had been held, and two members had been received by baptism. During that week, some of the Colesville saints from the Thompson branch and others arrived. Many were eager to learn the will of the Lord concerning them in the new place of gathering. I'm going to read a little bit more about some of the background of this section. Twelve days prior to this revelation, Joseph Smith identified the place of the New Jerusalem, and the revelation was received. The prophet dedicated the land for this purpose. Introducing this revelation, he noted that the first Sabbath after our arrival in Jackson County, Brother W.W. Phelps preached to a Western audience over the boundary of the United States, wherein were present specimens of all the families of the earth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, several of the Lamanites or Indians, representatives of Shem, quite a respectable number of Negroes, a descendant, descendants of Ham, and the balance was made up of citizens of the surrounding country and fully represented themselves as pioneers of the West. At this meeting, two were baptized who had previously believed in the fullness of the gospel. During this week, the Colesville branch, building of the great temple of the latter days, that place being Independence, Missouri. Two days after this, referred to in the latter part of the last revelation, and Sidney Rigdon, Sidney Gilbert, and wife, and elders Morley and Booth arrived, I received the following. Verse 1, Hearken, O ye elders of my church, and give ear to my word, and learn of me that I will... What I, will, what I will concerning you, and also concerning this land unto which I have sent you. <clears throat> For verily I say unto you, Blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death, and he that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. Ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter, and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. For after much tribulation come the blessings. Wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand. Elder George Q. Cannon suggested that the saints should always remember that God sees not as man sees, that he does not willingly afflict his children, and that if he requires them to endure present privation and trial, it is that they may escape greater tribulations which would otherwise inevitably overtake them. If he deprives them of any present blessing, it is that they may he may bestow upon them greater and more glorious ones by and by. Isn't that a comforting thought to know that uh, any tribulation or any privation that we might have is for a greater purpose and God will give us even greater blessings? I think that's comforting. Trials sometimes come to the saints as a chastisement when they disregard the Lord's counsel. Even when the saints are living righteously, trials may come upon them because of the unrighteousness of others. Tribulation provides the saints with opportunities for spiritual growth and character development. 
Such needed attributes as humility, faith, empathy, patience, courage, gratitude, and a repentant heart come to individuals in the refiner's fire of tribulation and persecution. Trials give saints the opportunity to, pr to prove themselves worthy of eternal blessings by showing their commitment to God and his kingdom and their willingness to endure privation and, and forsake the things of the world. This, in turn, helps them develop the faith necessary to obtain et eternal life. I remember in the, in the movie Fiddler on the Roof, Tevye says that having wealth is a curse and may I never recover. Um, anyway, sometimes I feel that way. According to the lectures on faith prepared under the direction of the prophet Joseph Smith, a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. For from the first existence of man, the faith necessary unto the enjoyment of life and salvation never could be obtained without the sacrifice of all earthly things. It was through this sacrifice and this only that God has ordained that men should enjoy eternal life. And it is through the medium of the sacrifice of all earthly things that men do actually know that they are doing the things that are well-pleasing in the sight of God. When a man has offered in sacrifice all that he has for the truth's sake, not even withholding his life, and believing before God that he has been called to make this sacrifice because he seeks to do his will, he does know most assuredly that God does and will accept his sacrifice and offering, and that he has not, nor will not seek his face in vain. Under these circumstances, then, he can obtain the faith necessary for him to lay hold on eternal life. Elder Bruce R. McConkie explained, The testing processes of mortality are for all men, saints and sinners alike. Sometimes the te tests and trials of those who have received the gospel far exceed any imposed upon worldly people. Abraham was called upon to sacrifice his only son. Lehi and his family left their lands and wealth to live in a wilderness. Saints in all ages have been commanded to lay all that they have upon the altar, sometimes even their very lives. As to the individual trials and problems that befall us, we, all we need say is that the wisdom of him who knows all things and who does all things well, all of us are given the particular and specific tests that we need in our personal situations. It is to us, his saints, that the Lord speaks when he says, I will prove you in all things, whether you will abide in my covenant, even unto death, that you may be found worthy. For if ye will not abide in my covenant, ye are not worthy of me. But sometimes the Lord's people are hounded and persecuted. Sometimes he deliberately lets his faithful saints linger and suffer in both body and spirit to prove that they may be found worthy of eternal life. If such be the lot of any of us, so be it. But come what may, anything that befalls us here in mortality is but for a small moment. And if we are true and faithful, God will eventually exalt us on high. All our losses and sufferings will be made up in the resurrection. President Brigham Young taught, if the saints could realize things as they are when they are called to pass through trials and to suffer what they call sacrifices, they would acknowledge them to be the greatest blessings that could be bestowed upon them. Verse 5, remember this, which I tell you before, that you may lay it to heart and receive that which is to follow. Behold, verily I say unto you, for this cause I have sent you, that you, may, that you might be obedient and that your hearts might be prepared to bear testimony of the things which are to come. An important purpose that the, for the commandments to establish Zion was not so much to establish Zion physically, but to establish a spiritual Zion, a faithful, obedient, and consecrated people. The saints are still establishing spiritual Zion in this way toward all the stakes of Zion throughout the world. 
The physical Zion will yet be built in this dispensation and on the very ground dedicated for that purpose in 1831. But in the meantime, each of us can establish spiritual Zion in our homes and in our own hearts by obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. When the Lord's people have at last become a righteous people, the Lord will direct them to the appropriate places. And that was by the uh, doctrinal commentary of the, of the Doctrine and Covenants. And also that you might be honored in laying the foundations and in bearing record of the land upon which the Zion of God shall stand. The building up of Zion is a cause that has interested the people of God in every age, explained the prophet Joseph Smith. It is a theme upon which prophets, priests, and kings have dwelt with peculiar delight. They have looked forward with joyful anticipation to the day in which we live and fired with heavenly and joyful anticipation. They have sung and written and prophesied of this our day, but they died without the sight. We are the favored people that God has made choice of to bring about the latter-day glory. It is left for us to see, participate in, and help to roll forward the latter-day glory, the dispensation of the fullness of times when God will gather together all things that are in heaven and all things that are upon the earth, even in one, when the saints of God will be gathered in from every nation and kindred and people and tongue, when the Jews will be gathered together into one, the wicked will also be gathered together to be destroyed as spoken of by the prophets. The Spirit of God will also dwell with his people and be withdrawn from the rest of the nations and all things, whether in heaven or on earth, will be in one, even in Christ. A lot of that quote was, uh, was quoted by Elder Bednar in the uh, April 2020 General Conference. Continuing the quote here from Joseph Smith, the heavenly priesthood will unite with the, with the earthly to bring about those great purposes. And whilst we are thus united in one common cause to roll forth the kingdom of God, the heavenly priesthood are not idle spectators. The spirit of God will be showered down upon from above and it will dwell in our midst. The blessings of the Most High will rest upon our tabernacles, and our name will be handed down to future generations. Our children will rise up and call us blessed, and generations yet unborn will dwell with peculiar delight upon the scenes that we have passed through. The privations that we have endured, the untiring zeal that we have manifested, the all but un insurmountable difficulties that we, that we have overcome in laying the foundation of a work that brought about the glory and blessing which they will realize, a work that God and angels have contemplated with delight for generations past, that fired the souls of the ancient patriarchs and prophets, a work that is destined to bring about the destruction of the powers of darkness, the renovation of the earth, the glory of God, and the salvation of the human family. End of quote. Verse 8, And also that a feast of fat things might be prepared for the poor, yea, a feast of fat things, of wine on the lees, well refined, that the earth may know that the mouths of the prophets shall not fail. It is a gospel feast of which the ancient prophet wrote, a meal worthy to be placed before the children of a king, even the eternal father. The phrase wine on the lees is, is used in the King James Version of the Bible as the translation of the Hebrew shmarim, which mean, literally means dregs. When drinking wine from a cup is given a positive connotation, as it is here, the dregs means the strongest or sweetest and most concentrated portion of the fermented product, the fat part. These concentrated dregs, which contained the most flavor, were similar to a jelly or preserve and were considered a great delicacy. So when he talks about the, the fat things, he's talking about the best things. Verse 9, Yea, a supper of the house of the Lord, well prepared, 
unto which all nations nations shall be invited. This sounds like the Feast of Tabernacles or Passover feasts, which are Israel, which all Israel was expected to attend each year. Supper may also refer to the sacrament meeting to be held in Adam on Daaman. This New Testament imagery has reference to the ushering in of the Messiah's millennial kingdom. The invitation extended by missionaries to enter into the covenant of baptism is in effect the invitation to attend the marriage feast of the Lamb. And that last part was quoted by Joseph Eli McConkie. My my uh, understanding or in understanding of this is that the supper of the house of the Lord is going to be the sacrament meeting held at Adam on Daaman, uh, which will be preceding the second coming. Verse 10, first the rich and the learned and the wise and the noble, and after that cometh the day of my power. Then shall the poor, the lame, and the blind, and the deaf come in unto that marriage of the Lamb, and partake of the supper of the Lord prepared for the great day to come. The gospel has always been taught on a priority basis. Here we are told that it is to go first to the rich and the learned, the wise and the noble. That is, the gospel was destined to come forth in a nation that had sufficient natural resources and land to which the scattered remnants of Israel could gather and find means to provide for themselves a place rich in the opportunity to learn and obtain wisdom. This is this so that it could in turn send forth missionaries by the tens and hundreds of thousands to others. In so doing, this great army of missionaries went first to the literate and comparatively rich nations of Europe, for here would be found a people capable of providing the stability and learning necessary to lay the foundations of the church, so that their sons and daughters could in turn go to other nations here described as the poor, the lame, the blind, and the deaf. These, we are promised, will be lifted up, taught, and refined that they might take their rightful place in the quorums of the priesthood and the leadership of the church. For it shall come to pass, declared the Lord, that which I spake by the mouths of my prophets shall be fulfilled. For I will consecrate of the riches of those who embrace my gospel among the Gentiles unto the poor of my people who are of the house of Israel. That was back in section 42. Those that accept the gospel among the rich in all nations of the world are responsible to prepare the way for chapels and temples to be built in the lands of the poor. For the Book of Mormon to be translated and published in all nations, or in all languages, for for missionaries to travel to the far reaches of the world, empowered with the authority of the priesthood, to baptize and administer the ordinances of of the restored gospel. They are to see that the supper of the Lord is well prepared for the lame, the blind, and the deaf. Then the day will come when the Lord himself, who ministered to the poor and afflicted, will return to reign as king in equity and righteousness in that millennial day. All will be one, partakers of his goodness. And that was by Joseph Eli McConkie. Verse 12, Behold, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and the testimony might go forth, and that the testimony might go forth from Zion. America will be the place from where the gospel will go forth to all the world. Yea, from the mouth of the city of the heritage of God, yea, for this cause I have sent you hither, and have selected my servant Edward Partridge, and have appointed unto him his mission in this land. But if he repent not of his sins, which are unbelief and blindness of heart, let him take heed, lest he, lest he fall. During their weeks in Missouri together, Bishop Partridge several times strenuously opposed the measures of the prophet, and was sharply reproved by the latter for his unbelief and hardness of heart. Despite his high calling as the bishop in Zion, if Edward had not repented of this attitude, he would have fallen. Bishop Partridge was a good man with a firm testimony of the gospel, and he eventually sacrificed all he had for the kingdom. But he also had some very firm opinions about how Zion was to be built, opinions which were at odds with the instructions he received from Joseph Smith. 
These differences with the prophet continued for some time and would eventually contribute to the loss of Zion in Jackson County, Missouri. Edward Partridge would not be the last saint to doubt the word or plans of the prophets. Verse 16, Behold, his mission is given unto him, and it shall not be given again. And whoso standeth in this mission is appointed to be a judge in Israel. Bishops are judges in Israel. Like as it was in ancient days to divide the lands of the, of the heritage of God unto his children, and to judge his people by the testimony of the just and by the assistance of his counselors. According to the laws of the kingdom, which are given by the prophets of God. For verily I say unto you, my law shall be kept on this land. Let no man think he is ruler, but let God rule him that judgeth according to the counsel of his own will. Or, in other words, him that counseleth or sitteth upon the judgment seat. Let no man break the laws of the land, for he that keepeth the laws of the land hath no need to break the laws of the land. I don't know that I said that right. For he that keepeth the laws of God hath no need to break the laws of the land. There we go. It is expected that Latter-day Saints will be obedient to the laws of the land. However, they are to hold forth the law received from Christ as an example to the governments of men. Hopefully in this manner they may influence the laws of respective nations to align more closely with the laws of God. Members of the church are also encouraged to be actively involved in political processes, especially in areas where moral issues are concerned. If this people live to the principles they have embraced, declared Brigham Young, they will, be they will be capable of counseling the nations. For we build upon a just foundation, and our principles are truth, righteousness, and holiness. Let us stand by those principles until they crush out folly, and we become teachers of wisdom to the nations. And that was out of the Journal of Discourses. Verse 22. Wherefore, be subject to the powers that be until he reigns, whose right it is to reign, and subdue all enemies under his feet. Behold, the laws which ye have received from my hand are the laws of the church, and in this light ye shall hold them forth. Behold, here is wisdom. And now, as I spake concerning my servant Edward Partridge, this land is the land of his residence, and, and those whom he has appointed for his counselors also and also the land of the residence of him whom I have appointed to keep my storehouse. Wherefore, let them bring their families to this land, as they shall counsel themselves together, as they, I'm sorry, as they counsel between themselves and me. For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things, the same as a slothful and not a wise servant, wherefore he receiveth no reward. I think that was a scripture mastery verse. Elder uh, Ezra Taft Benson said, Usually the Lord gives us the overall objectives to be accomplished and some guidelines to follow, but he expects us to work out most of the details and methods. The methods and procedures are usually developed through study and prayer and by living so that we can obtain the follow and follow the promptings of the Spirit. Less spiritually advanced people, such as those in the days of Moses, had to be counseled or had to be commanded in many things. Today, those spiritually alert look at the objectives, check the guidelines laid down by the Lord and his prophets, and then prayerfully act without having to be commanded in all things. This attitude prepares men for godhood. Sometimes the Lord hopefully waits on his children to act on their own, and when they do not, they lose the greater prize, and the Lord will either drop the entire matter and let them suffer the consequences, or else he will have to spell it out in greater details. Usually, I fear the more he has to spell it out, the, s the smaller is our reward. The desire to do that which is right and proper ought to be innate to the soul. Virtue loveth virtue, light cleaveth unto light, mercy hath compassion on mercy. To be devoid of such virtues is to be devoid of the Spirit. 
When we have been compelled to do a particular work, we typically do it according to the letter of the law, which letter killeth. But if our offering is freely given, that spirit will give it life. The virtue of all actions is in the motive behind them. That was by Joseph Elam McConkie. Verse 27, Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. Marvin J. Ashton said, When the wise counsel men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness was said, the time structure referred only to now, today, and without delay. How unwise are those who want to delay repentance until tomorrow. With each passing day, the process becomes more difficult to pursue. Most of our hurts and misunderstandings could be cleared away if treated today instead of waiting for them to go away tomorrow. To live more fully each hour and to glean the most from each day is wisdom. How unwise we are to waste our todays when they determine the significance of our tomorrows. We should wisely live a day at a time because that is all we have. <clears throat> While our families are available to us, we should take time to develop oneness, unity, and character. Girls of today are the women of tomorrow. Boys of today are the men of tomorrow. The kind of men and women we produce for the future depends on how they are taught to use today. How fortunate a child is to be raised in a home where love, respect, honor, integrity, and, com and commitment are appropriately displayed each day. Mothers and fathers, we invite you to enjoy the fruits of improved parent-child relationships beginning now. Mothers and fathers classified as truly wonderful by appreciative children earn that rating by daily performance rather than by threat, procrastination, or purchase. We never give our children a lift when we give them a free ride. Verse 28, For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. As an agent unto yourself, you have the power of self-action. That is, you determine how you are going to act or what you are going to do. In the dictionary of Joseph Smith's day, agency was defined as exerting power or the state of being in action. An agent was defined as one entrusted with the concerns of another. The dictionary cited as examples an attorney or a minister. There is no hint or intim intimation that the word has anything to do with choosing or the freedom of choice. Teaching this principle, Joseph Fielding Smith said, I have heard people say, and members of the church too, I have a right to do as I please. My answer is, no, you do not. You haven't any right at all to do just as you please. There is only one right that you have, and that is to do just what I read to you, keep the commandments of Jesus Christ. He has a perfect right to tell us so. We have no right to refuse. I do not care who the man is. I do not care where he lives or what he is. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is presented to him, he has no right to refuse to receive it. He has the privilege. He is not compelled to receive it because our Father in heaven has given to every one of us in the church and out the gift of free agency. That free agency gives us the privilege to accept and be loyal to our Lord's commandments, but it has never given us the right to reject them. Every man who rejects the commandments of our Father in heaven is rebellious. Elder Renlund has also said that God doesn't want us to be obedient. He wants us to choose to be obedient. A moral agent is someone who is obligated to act morally, to act 
morally is more than being moral. All infants are moral beings. They simply cannot do things that are wrong. They are not, however, moral agents because they do not have the power to act, the power to bring about change. The more mature the child, the greater his or her agency and ability to grow up into the power to act for himself, to make his own choices. Similarly, as we grow in intelligence, meaning light and knowledge, in obedience and faith, our agency grows proportionately. To increase in faith and knowledge of spiritual things is at the same time to increase in agency. Thus, God becomes the perfect example of a moral agent. No one has a greater power to act in a responsible and moral manner than he does. Salvation can be granted only to moral agents, for only moral agents have the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, and they alone have the capacity to be righteous. I like what President Joseph Ealing Smith said, that we, we don't have a right to say no to God. Uh, he has every right to command us to be obedient, and we should be we should comply. I also remember John Quincy Adams was said, that said that uh, a republic such as we live in really can't be effective unless there are moral people that live in it. Continuing verse 28, And inasmuch as men do good, they shall in no wise in no wise lose their reward. But he that doeth not anything until he is commanded, and receiveth the commandment with doubtful heart, and keepeth it with slothfulness, the same is damned. Who am I that made man, saith the Lord, that will hold him guiltless that obeys not my commandments? Who am I, saith the Lord, that have promised and have not fulfilled? I command, and men obey not. I revoke, and they receive not the blessing. Then they say in their hearts, This is not the work of the Lord, for his promises are not fulfilled. But woe unto such, for their reward lurketh beneath, and not from above. And now I give unto you further directions concerning this land. It is wisdom in me that my servant Martin Harris should be an example unto the church in laying his monies before the bishop of the church. Martin Harris mortgaged his farm so the Book of Mormon could be published. And also, this is now. Remember too that uh, at the end of all thing of all of this, Martin Harris was paid back for having um, purchased the Book of Mormon for having done that with his property. Verse thirty-six. And also, this is a law unto every man that cometh into this land to receive an inheritance, and he shall do with his money according as the law directs. There were many who came in design without agreeing to live the law of consecration, which caused many problems, including their expulsion from Zion. And it is wisdom also that there should be lands purchased in independence for the place of the storehouse and also for the house of the printing. And other directions concerning my servant Martin Harris shall be given him of the spirit that he may receive his inheritance as seemeth him good. And let him repent of his sins for he seeketh the praise of the world. And also let my servant William W. Phelps stand in the office to which I have appointed him and receive his inheritance in the land. And also... He hath need to repent, for I, the Lord, am not well pleased with him, for he seeketh to excel, and he is not sufficiently meek before him, before me. He was being competitive and not cooperative. That was the problem. Verse 42, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. The power of the atonement is infinite and eternal. Those that are cleansed in the blood of the Lamb have every vestige of sin removed from their souls. The Lord promised, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In essence, they are perfected in Christ, and it is as though they had never sinned. The repentant sinner may receive every blessing that the Father has prepared for his children. That was by Joseph Ealing McConkie. No one can ever be forgiven of any transgression until there is repentance, and one has not repented until he has bared his soul and admitted his intentions and weaknesses without excuses or rationalizations. He must admit to himself that he has grievously sinned. 
when he has confessed to himself without the slightest minimization of the offense, or rationalizing its seriousness, or soft-pedaling its gravity, and admits it as big as it really is, then he is ready to begin his repentance, and any other elements of repentance are of of reduced value until the conviction is established totally, and then repentance may mature and forgiveness may eventually come. That was by President Kimball. To forsake is more than to refrain from sinning. It includes a mighty change that leads the individual to forsake the sins in the heart, as well as to change his behavior. Those who are unable to root the desire to sin out of their hearts are like Lot's wife, who was unable to forsake Sodom and continued to look back upon her previous life until she returned to meet her own destruction. Thus, those who speak of their for, of their former sins with any degree of longing or attitude of boasting are in bondage to their sins. They have not yet fully repented. That was by Joseph Ely McConkie. Verse 43. By this ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. Repentance means more than a simply a reformation of behavior. True repentance is based on and flows from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. True repentance involves a change of heart and not a change in and not just a change in behavior. That was by President Benson. Repentance requires both turning away from evil and turning to God. And that was by Neil Maxwell. Verse 44, And now, verily I say, concerning the residue of the elders of my church, the time has not yet come for many years for them to receive their inheritance in this land, except they desire it through the prayer of faith, only as it shall be appointed unto them of the Lord. For behold, they shall push the people together from the ends of the earth. According to the blessing of Moses upon the tribe of Ephraim, this specific task would be Ephraim's in the latter days. Therefore, most of the elders of the church, the modern tribe of Ephraim, were to continue laboring in the world, making converts from every nation, instead of coming immediately to build Zion. Verse 46, Wherefore, assemble yourselves together, and they who are not appointed to stay in this land, let them preach the gospel in the regions round about, and after that, let them return to their houses or to their homes. Let them preach by the way and bear testimony of the truth in all places and call upon the rich, the high and the low, and the poor to repent. And let them build up churches inasmuch as the inhabitants of the earth will repent. And let there be an agent appointed by the voice of the church unto the church in Ohio to receive monies to purchase lands in Zion. Newell K. Whitney was the bishop in Ohio and Edward Partridge was the bishop in Missouri. Verse 50, And I give unto my servant Sidney Rigdon a commandment that he shall write a description of the land of Zion and a statement of the will of God as it shall be made known by the Spirit unto him. This is an interesting uh, commandment here to write um, a statement. Let me just read a little bit about that. Uh, You may not have heard about this because it's not really very well known. Sidney Rigdon wrote a description of the land which was not acceptable to the Lord. Concerning Rigdon's efforts, the Lord revealed, I, the Lord, am not well pleased with my servant Sidney Rigdon. He exalted himself in his heart and received not counsel, but grieved the spirit. Wherefore, his writing is not acceptable unto the Lord, and he shall make another. And if the Lord receive it not, behold, he standeth no longer in the office to which I have appointed him. Our present records do not contain any further description of the land written by him. That was by Joseph uh, Fielding McConkie. As we have received a commandment for Elder Rigdon to write a description of the land of Zion, we sought for all the information necessary to accomplish so desirable an object. The country is unlike the timbered states of the east. As far as the eye can reach, the beautiful rolling prairies lie spread out like a sea of meadows and are decorated with a growth of flowers so gorgeous and grand as to exceed description, and nothing is more fruitful or a richer stockholder in the, in the blooming prairie than the honeybee. 
Only on the water courses is timber to be found. There is there in strips from one to three miles in width, and following faithfully the meanderings of the streams, it grows in luxuriant forests. The forests are a mixture of oak, hickory, black walnut, elm, ash, cherry, honey, locust, mulberry, coffee bean, hackberry, box elder, and basswood, with the addition of cottonwood, butterwood, pecan, and soft and hard maple upon the bottoms. The shrubbery is beautiful and consists in part of plums, grapes, crabapple, and persimmons. <clears throat> the soil is rich and fertile from three to ten feet deep and generally composed of a rich black mold intermingled with clay and sand. It yields in abundance wheat, corn, sweet potatoes, cotton, and many other common agricultural products. Horses, cattle, and hogs, though an inferior breed, are tolerable, plentiful, and seem nearly to raise themselves by grazing in the vast prairie range in summer and feeding upon the bottoms in winter. The wild game is less plentiful, of course, where man has commenced the cultivation of the soil than in the wild prairies. Buffalo, elk, deer, bear, wolves, beaver, and many smaller animals here roam at pleasure. Turkeys, geese, swans, ducks, yea, a variety of the, of the feathered tribe are among the rich abundance that grace the delighted regions of this goodly land. The heritage of the children of God, the season is mild and delightful nearly three-quarters of the year, and as the land of Zion, situated at about equal distances from the Atlantic and Pacific oceans, as well as from the Allegheny and Rocky Mountains, in the 39th degree of north latitude, and between the 16th and 17th degrees of west longitude, it bids fair, when the curse is taken from the land, to become one of the most blessed places on the globe. The winters are milder than the Atlantic states of the same parallel of latitude, and the weather is more agreeable, so that were the virtues of the inhabitants only equal to the blessings of the Lord, which he permits to crown the industry of those inhabitants, there would be a measure of the good things of life for the benefit of the saints, full, pressed down and running over, even an hundredfold. The disadvantages here, as in all new countries, are self-evident. Lack of mills and schools, together with the natural privations and inconveniences which the land of industry, the refinement of society, and the polish of science overcome. But all these impediments vanish when it is re recollected what the prophets have said concerning Zion in the last days, how the glory of Lebanon is to come upon her, the fir tree, the pine, and the box tree together to beautifully to beautify the place of his sanctuary that he may make the place of his feet glorious where for brass he will bring gold and for iron he will bring silver and for wood brass and for stones iron and where the feast of fat things will be given of the just yea when the splendor of the lord is brought to our, con our consideration for the good of his people the calculations of men and the vain glory of the world vanish and we exclaim out of zion the perfection of beauty and that was out of a work called God Hath Shined in the Church History, Volume 1. Verse 51, And an epistle and, and subscription to be presented unto all the churches to obtain monies, to be put up in the, into the hands of the bishop of himself or the agent as seemeth him good, or as he shall direct to purchase lands for an inheritance for the children of God. For behold, verily I say unto you, the Lord willeth that the disciples and the children of men should open their hearts even to purchase this whole region of country as soon as time will permit. Behold, here is wisdom. Let them do this, lest they receive none inheritance, save it be by the shedding of blood. It is unacceptable to obtain the land by the shedding of blood. And again, inasmuch as there is land obtained, let there be workmen sent forth of all kinds into this labor 
into this land to labor for the saints of God. Let all these things be done in order, and let the privileges of the lands be made known from time to time by the bishop or the agent of the church. And let the work of the gathering be not in haste, nor by flight, but let it be done as it shall be counseled by the elders of the church at the conferences, according to the knowledge which they receive from time to time. Those members that gathered to Zion before they had consecrated their property and in turn received an inheritance from the bishop created confusion and lacked the spirit of the Lord necessary to build up Zion. Today, unwise zeal should not influence saints to gather to Jackson County, Missouri. The proper course is to follow counsel from the president of the church in gathering. That was by Joseph Philly McConkie. I've often wondered, uh, wouldn't it be cool to buy some property in independence to have uh, some land available? But I guess we're not supposed to do that. Verse 57, And let my servant Sidney Rigdon consecrate and dedicate this land and the spot for the temple unto the Lord. On the second day of August, wrote the prophet Joseph Smith, I assisted the Colesville branch of the church to lay the first log for a house as a foundation of Zion in Caw Township, 12 miles west of Independence. The log was carried in place by 12 men in honor of the 12 tribes of Israel. At the, to- at the same time, through prayer, the land of Zion was consecrated and dedicated by Sidney by Elder Sidney Rigdon for the gathering of the saints. It was a season of joy to those present and afforded a glimpse of the future, which time will yet unfold to the satisfaction of the faithful. John Whitmer, in his History of the Church, gave further details about about that date from a statement of Oliver Cowdery's. On the second day of August, 1831, Rigdon stood up and asked, saying, Do you receive this land for the land of your inheritance with thankful hearts from the Lord? Answer from all, we do. Do you pledge yourselves to keep the law of God in this land, which you never have kept in your own lands? We do. Do you pledge yourselves to see that others of your brethren who shall come hither to do keep the laws of God? We do. After prayer, he arose and said, I now pronounce this land consecrated and dedicated unto the Lord for a possession and inheritance for the saints and for all the faithful servants of the Lord to the remotest ages of time. In the name of Jesus Christ, having authority from him, amen. Whitmer also recorded that on the 3rd of August, 1831, in obedience to these instructions, eight elders, that is, Joseph Smith, Jr., Oliver Cowdery, Sidney Rigdon, Peter Whitmer, Jr., Frederick G. Williams, William W. Phelps, Martin Harris, and Joseph Coe, assembled together where the temple is to be erected. Sidney Rigdon dedicated the ground where the city is to stand, and Joseph Smith, Jr. laid a stone at the northeast corner of the contemplated temple in the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. After all present had rendered thanks to the great ruler of the universe, Sidney Rigdon pronounced this spot of ground wholly dedicated unto the Lord forever. Amen. Back to the verses. Verse 58. And let a conference meeting be called. And after that, let my servants, Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith, Jr., return and also Oliver Cowdery with them to accomplish the residue of the work which I have appointed unto them in their own land, and the residue he shall, as shall be ruled by the conferences. The Lord had also previously indicated that a conference was to be held in Missouri. Thirty-one members attended this conference, which was held on the 4th of August, 1831, in Caw Township at the home of Joshua Lewis, a local convert of the missionaries to the Lamanites. 59. And let no man return from this land except he bear record by the way of that which he knows and most assuredly believes. In other words, bear your testimony of what you know. Verse 60, let that which has been bestowed upon Ziba Peterson be taken from him and let him stand as a member in the church and labor with his own hands with the brethren until he is sufficiently chastened for all his sins, for he confessed them not and he thinketh to hide them. 
Ziba was one of the one of the missionaries to the Lamanites who set out from Fayette, New York, with Oliver Cowdery ten months earlier, in October of 1830. In April 1831, he and Oliver Cowdery traveled to Lafayette County, Missouri, and preached to the people of Lexington, baptizing 40 to 50 persons. Following this rebuke issued to him on the 1st of August, Ziba confessed his sins <clears throat> at the conference held on August the 4th and received forgiveness. One week later, on the 11th of August, he married Rebecca Hooper, one of the Lafayette County converts. Ziba Peterson later became disaffected, however, and when the Saints fled Jackson County in 1833, he and his family remained behind. Verse 61, Let the residue of the elders of, his, of this church who are, who are coming to this land, some of whom are exceedingly blessed, even above measure, also hold a conference upon this land. And let my servant Edward Partridge direct the conference which shall be held by them. And let them also return, preaching the gospel by the way, bearing record of the things which are revealed unto them. For verily the sound must go forth from this place, in other words, Zion is the center place, into all the world and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel must be preached unto every creature with signs following them that believe. In other words, the gospel is being taught from America to all the world. Verse 65, And behold, the Son of Man cometh. Amen. And so all of this is in preparation for the second coming. The establishment of Zion in uh, Jackson County, Missouri, will also be done before the Savior's return. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you at the next podcast. Well, maybe you'll hear from me anyway. Bye.